From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and my guest today is Steve Haskin. Steve is the owner of Industrial Strength Learning, a company that develops media for learning organizations and training companies. Steve is an expert in video and motion graphics and their role in the context of solutions for learning. Steve, I'm happy to have you with us today. Welcome to the Learning Circle. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you. Now, technology is affording video a bigger role everywhere. Technology is caught up and it's becoming a part of everything. And that's true of our industry, which is learning. And we're figuring out what the fit is right now. What are your thoughts on the role of video and how should we be implementing it? Good question. And without going too much into the history of it, the role of video in training is evolving. And I think it's evolving in in several different directions. When I started doing video for training, I realized that if I wanted to put video in at that time there was a company called Macromedia and they had a product called Authorware and we used to record our video stuff onto laser discs because it was the only delivery method really and the video was by by necessity was run off of tape into a video capture card and it did it it's almost like the Flintstones where the little bird inside it was it It was a lot of yabba dabba do and and your feet were flapping on the thing and your car was going (laughs) and I knew it was the stone age but I also realized that in a much more rudimentary way than I understand now, that video had, that there was a role and a place for video in, in learning. And I mean real video. I'm not talking about what I call flip-top video, where you flip up the SME or whoever, the instructional developer or the instructor flips up the lid of their laptop and talks into the camera on the lid of their laptop. Ah, uh, I was going to ask you what you meant. Okay. Flip, it's not a flip cam anymore. It's flip top and you flip the top of your laptop open and you start recording. Which, is, mean, a, which is another way of saying talking head. Talking right? head. Death. Talking heads do not engage learners. And I'm all about the, how do you engage learners? More importantly, how do you get learners to remember what they were taught in six months or a year, because then you'll really have taught them. Okay, if they remember something tomorrow, that's fine, but will they remember it in six months, if, especially if they don't use it? And there are ways that I have found that work and that I've read about based on other people's research. It's not all what I've discovered. There are ways that I have found that really do work for videos. So back, moving ahead from the Stone Age, we move into the 90s where we could really begin capturing video in directly into the computer because back then we were actually using a whole bunch of tape decks and stuff and but the video we were capturing was still 320 pixels by by 120 pixels that was a big video and it stressed most systems and it was difficult to do it was difficult to edit so when you're struggling and the one thing i will say is that when you're struggling with the technology it takes away from the story because you're struggling with the technology you've got you've already got enough of a struggle creating the video for learning but if you're struggling, if you're creating video for learning and you're struggling with the technology, then you've got a real issue going on. And the real issue becomes, it's a conundrum because you're having to learn the technology and do the technology and you're having to edit the video and you're having to do the technology and learn the technology. All, all while you're wrestling with the technology. All while you're right? wrestling with the technology. Which is why back in the 90s, Apple and Mac kind of had that edge and reputation as being yeah. the place for doing media, right? Right, and I used Macs extensively. I was also using tape back then. Tape is gone, thankfully. 
what a rotten medium that was because when you after you recorded the video, then you had to put it in a playback machine, which could have been your camera, hook the camera up, record the scenes into your computer, or mark the scenes in your computer, and the workflow was, was difficult, so you were fighting, the story was fighting the video then. And when I taught video back in the 90s and all the way through the 2000s and really up until the last two or three years when my little my little caveman brain decided that I didn't have to do this anymore, I was teaching people how to make video. I still teach the concepts of shot selection and the concepts of, of doing that, but I don't have to teach people to make video anymore. Why? Because we all have video cameras in our pockets. Mm. They're called cell phones, and they're pretty good video cameras. And I love that part because now we can look at the concepts and the conceptual way we're, we're making video. And one of the things that I've discovered is that it's impossible. If you're creating a lesson, most lessons run, let's say they run 40 minutes to an hour. That's a good runtime for a lesson. If you want to make a video that runs 40 minutes for an hour, the only way you can do that without killing yourself, really, is by using a talking head. And talking heads are not video. They're basically a head that's not moving, but the lips are. So I call them moving lips. Somebody called it a moving jaw video yesterday that I heard. I like that term too. <laughs> but when, but talking head, I'm not talking about talking head video. I'm talking about real video where you go out and you make up a story. You go out and you shoot the story. You go out and then you edit it. You tell the story. You add the effects. You add the sound effects and everything. Cuts and scenes and. Exactly. Yeah, putting exactly. it all together in a ordered sequence. And what yes. I what I learned, and and I do a lot of motion graphics now as well. And what I learned over the years, one of the big lessons that I've learned is that video, doing video to do a lesson is not appropriate anymore. At least to me, if somebody out there wants to do their sitcom for an hour, or they they want to do their drama show for an hour, that's fine. But that means getting actors and doing something in video for an hour. If you want to make an hour's worth of motion graphics, that's fine too. But it's going to take you and 20 other people hours to do this kind of stuff. You need it, to it's do. It's intensive, yeah. Motion, it's intensive. My background is media development, graphic design, motion design also, and motion design pieces can be some of the most expensive things because you've got all that choreography of all those exactly. graphic symbols and things that are moving on a stage. So it's a lot of work. And hearkening just a beat back where we were talking about the history, mm-hmm. the evolution of video. Technologies like Flash sort of tied, they were tiding us over. They could, we could insert motion and a bit of human movement, but we did it in bandwidth friendly ways. Right. And now we've gotten over that hump and we're, we've got full video, but are we going to do it the right way? Right. And exactly. That's the challenge. And what I have found that, that's particularly effective is meta and by meta and meta video in, in particular. And what I mean by meta video is Meta is just a term that precisely means something about something. If you do a meta video to introduce the learners to a course that you're doing, to a lesson that you're giving, if you do a two, three-minute video at the beginning of the course that actually lets them evolve into the course and kind of tells them what they're going to learn, it's way more effective than trying to do a video for the whole course. And it's affordable and conserves time is the other thing because we can't make every single lesson that we do into a Hollywood production. There were two projects that I worked on. One was Carlito, which was for students that were that were learning how to install insulation. It was a course that came from an air grant to Santa Fe Community College. And the problem was the students were all male. 
25 to 35 years old, their highest degree of education was a, a GED or some of them had high school diplomas, but GEDs were much more common. One of the requirements is that they had that level of education. And this is a way for young men to get a job that was well-paying by taking this course, where the prospects for jobs were not that good. And they were struggling because the pass rate was very low. They had dropouts. They were having 20% of the people that started this 14-week course quit. And that meant that they didn't have anybody to move into the crew leader course and then into the energy auditor course and then further into the evaluator course. So what we came up with was a guy who did not study and did not check his lessons and take his lessons before he walked into the classroom. He was always screwing up on the job. So we made a character that had some memorable, you know, Carlito was the guy's name. And Carlito was a character who always screwed up on the job because he didn't pay attention in class, whether it was the live class or the online class. It didn't matter. Carlito didn't pay attention. I think that was his job was to not pay attention. And so we came up with this character, and then it was up to me to figure out how to portray this. Rather than trying to tell this whole lesson, we came up with two- to three-minute scenarios each scenario had one or two learning objectives and at least three key phrases that were tied to the lessons that were being taught that week. And we came up with this end, and Carlito was always screwing up on the job. And we got to the end, and I said, what do I do to make the ending? And I came up with an ending where Carlito was kind of looking really scared, and I used the, the old Ghostbuster circle with the slash through it. And the tagline was, don't be a Carlito. And we do the whole lesson, and it always keyed on this, was, so when you're on the job, Remember to do this, this, and this, and remember this. And I got all this echo and stuff in there. And don't be a Carlito. And anecdotally, I had heard that these young men uh, were walking in the classroom and they were going, "Are you a Carlito? You know, did you meaning did you study this week?" Anecdotally, from an instructional developer standpoint, from doing these this concept, to hear this, I mean, this is the kind of stuff we live for. It was amazing. And the other lesson, which was on the lighter side, was I, I was doing some work for Beer U. And Beer U is a training course for industry people who work on-premise and off-premise. And that means in liquor stores is off-premise, restaurants are on-premise. And, and also for wholesalers, salespeople at the wholesale level. And it was to teach them all about beer, literally from the ground up. And we were into the history of different styles of beer. Amber lager was a style that got invented in about 18, the 1840s in Germany. And it was invented at the same time by these two guys that traveled together all over Europe and England. And from their diaries, we found out that they had, they were, they were, so imagine this. So close your eyes and imagine two guys in their twenties and they're kicking around Europe. They're having a ball. They're from brewing families and they want to find out why English beer was lighter because the beers they made were black. Okay, they weren't very good beers in the in the early 1800s, and Pasteur did not identify yeast as the agent that ate the uh, sugar in the wort, which is the the starch converted to the sugar in the, in the malt. And he was the guy who identified that, but he didn't do that until the 1870s. So the 1840s, they kind of knew there were differences. They thought it was this miasma of things that fermented the beer. Yes. But these guys went around, and the English were making light ale. They they figured out how to roast the barley lighter, the malted barley, which is just sprouted. And they figured out how to how to roast the barley to a lighter color, and the Germans were still roasting it. It looked like pumpernickel bread when they were making the beer. And the way they did it was they had a hollow cane. This is These are true stories. These are from their journals. You can't make this stuff up, right? 
So we started out and we said, well, they had a hollow cane. They were stealing barley. They were doing all so kinds were, of things. So they were dipping the cane into, Ex- into uh, a barrel. beer samples. Yeah. Illicit beer samples so they could yeah. uh, study them. They were, st- they were yeah. stealing beer from brewers <laughs> all over Europe or from all over Western Europe because they were traveling what They traveled west from, I believe that they traveled west from Germany and they went through France, which is not a place where you want to consider beer. But I know they went to the, they went to Belgium and the Netherlands. Which are beer places, and then they went to the to England, and they did that. So what we came up with was we knew the lesson was going to be twenty minutes, but the meta that we did for it, the meta video again that we did about the lesson, showed these two guys, and the only pictures I could get of fine was a picture when they were at least in their fifties or sixties, and I cut them out, and we were doing all these goofy little things with this. People loved it, and they loved it because they, because they'd ask the question like, why is he putting his cane in the beer vat in the beer barrel? And we didn't explain any of that. And they got that in the lesson. So there's two examples of meta and how meta worked for video. And there are certain things that are still appropriate for video. But now with everything being digital and I have a recorder for my little black magic cinema camera that I use now. It's a recorder that I plop a solid state and SSD into it. So I get a 500 gig solid state drive. I start recording. It records directly to the drive. I go back to my desktop. I take out the drive. I put it in a little caddy. I don't have to mount it in anything. It mounts up and my video is right there. Mm. So my workflow is immensely improved and I see it all separated out by the files that are my takes. And if I've got somebody helping me take notes, I try and take notes as best I can, but I don't have to move it from the recorder to a chip to the computer, I can just get it onto the computer. It's still so much easier than tape. So moving back to that part of it, the technology has now caught up with our imaginations in a sense. And the only thing that would be better than that that I can think of is if we could think of a scene and have it appear on our computer screen. But that's not going to happen for a it's while. Not, it's not. But the, so. the point is these barriers where instead of wrestling with the technology, all that struggle has gone to the background and the foreground is just the work at hand. And Correct. You know, and right. You can just Absolutely focus on creating correct. good video. But in that example of the uh, Carlito video, so that's an interesting one because it's an example of showing, but it's from the school of, uh, do you remember the book called How to Learn Good Web Design by Studying Bad Web Design? So it sounds like that was your approach with Carlito. And I remember you telling me this story in the past, and it sounded like your students were turned around, like they probably felt like they had to take this, but by the end they were doing what you said. You know, hey, don't be a Carlito. They were really into it. Well, they they understood as they got into it, they understood that they were actually learning a profession. This helped that this enabled them and helped them get into it. And the real gratifying result was that they went from about a 20% rate of dropout or just not getting through the course to an 80% rate. And I would like to say that it's all because of the video things of Carlito that we did. But I think there was more to it. I think that their training was really good. And I don't think that their training, both online and offline, and meaning live, I don't think their training would have been successful if their training wasn't good. But I think Carlito, the purpose of it was just really to set them up. And I think it worked. It, It was ambitious to do it that way because I'd never really done anything that way before. And wow, about at about the 10th or the 11th one, I'm going, whoa, this really worked. I was as much amazed by our own success at this as I was happy, ecstatic actually, for the student success at it. Because you really do want to see those students succeed because why make e-learning if your students aren't succeeding? You know, if you're just doing it for rote, sorry, you're in the wrong business. This is not the business you should be in. 
But if you're doing it because you want to see people be successful, this is one way to do it. And because we can all make video now, we've all got our cameras. Please do not hold your cell phones vertically when you're shooting video. That was a plea that that just comes out. Now I had to have somebody turn their phone to the side. We can't scan vertically. I'm right. sorry for this aside, but it's but we all no, have a, no. I've actually I've, I've heard people suggest that now vertical orientation video is a viable format alternative because of phones. And I'm sorry, I just can't go there. There's a there's actually a neurological and a neuroscience reason for it, and that's that we do not scan vertically. Number one, on a horizontal screen, right? And until our screens become horizontal, other than our phones. True. And it, I admit it, I'm but look looking at, at my phone right now. Okay. But think about the motion picture standards, how in 1954 when they went to widescreen, they're really approximating human periphery, right? Right. We're, we're seeing on a, more tried of a, all kinds a, of a landscape mode. That's what we're going to identify with. Right. But to your point about the video and these meta videos or introductory videos, those are sometimes our only opportunity to warm up content with a sense of human contact. Someone who, whether it's a character, in the case of Carlito, or, you know, talking head can be done right, actually. But if it's for the purpose of raising the stakes, letting people know what the heart of the matter, why they need to pay attention, why this matters, it can gain attention and sustain attention. And it's a wonderful opportunity that we can take advantage of. What are some of the key points of advice that you give to organizations that are trying to wrap their head around implementing video? Good question. To break it into three parts, the first one is for managers. Managers, let your teams do their thing. If it doesn't work, do it again. But make sure it doesn't work. Go to your learners. Go to their audience. Let them have their creative way with something. If they want to do something funny and you don't like funny, let them try it. Okay? It may, it may fall flat on its face. But you gotta let people try things, especially with video, because now we're talking about a whole cognitive science that's developing around video. That's the first point, and that's for managers. Let your team do their thing. The second is for the teams. Try things. Don't do what you've seen before, or do what you've seen before if it's sometimes flattery is the sincerest form of imitation. If I'm stumped and I'm stuck on something, I'll go watch a Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote cartoon, or I'll, I'll watch a short video. I'll listen to some kind of on-air stuff. I'll turn on Sirius XM, especially the Canadian station, because comics tell stories. Video has to tell a story. It's the whole nature of the medium. It's visual. It's oral. It's both senses. And from a neurological or a neuroscience standpoint, we're starting to study how the difference between what reading does to the brain and how the brain lights up when we're reading. And don't forget, reading is a visual thing. But it's also, linguistics is really difficult because learning how to read takes in several areas of the brain and it's putting areas, different areas of the brain together when we're children we're learning how to read. And it's really important, but when you show somebody a video, all kinds of parts of the brain light up. And maybe Carlito was working because it kept parts of the brain lit up when they segued from that into their weekly lesson online. And maybe that set the brain up for them to learn. Just try new things. Don't try to make it like Hollywood. Just make it so it tells a story, and mm-hmm. which is the third point. Tell a story. Tell a story. I've always said that I can make up a story for just about anything, and I think I can. They might be wild and imaginative, but 
I've got several ways that I go to get my muse inspired and, the way, and several ways that I go to to get my, my creative juices flowing so that I can think of something. Then the, the hardest thing isn't necessarily to think of what to do. I think the hardest thing is to follow through and actually do it. And the inspiration, you know, the old saying, inspiration is 10%, perspiration is the 90. It's true with video because when you get into that nitty-gritty, when you get into the guts of a video and you're working in Premiere Pro and After Effects or you're making a soundtrack up, you know, multi-layer soundtrack and audition or whatever you're doing, that's the perspiration part. I happen to love that part, but I also happen to love the inspiration part and going like, oh, I could try this and do whatever makes you have your own aha moment to create the video and make the video fit the context of what you're trying to teach. Yeah, I think what you're implying here, just going back a few beats in your advice, is the barriers and the cost have come down. So you can afford to be experimental and iterative. You can let your team try things and fail forward a bit and try it again. And you touched on the brain science you mentioned reading. You mentioned the way when we monitor the brain, how it sort of fires and lights up yeah, it does. Uh, in relation to video. What's the theory behind that? What's going on with our brains with video that makes it unique compared to other media? Well, video works on a whole bunch of different levels. It works on the story level, which is part of our emotional context. It works on our visual cortex, obviously, because it's visual. And the one thing that humans have is a, our, well, our cerebral cortex, backing off from that and going to a, you know, maybe a, a more 10,000 foot view. Our cerebral cortex is the thickest in, of all the animals. It's probably what sets us, one of the things, major things that sets us apart from an, other animals is how thick our, our cerebral cortex is. Our visual cortex is also more complex. And we notice motion. When we see something out of the corner of our eye, Fight or flight is what that's yeah, known. So we're, we're constantly scanning the environment. That's what our totally. brains are doing. Right. Right. We're trying to resolve uncertainty. We're trying to see what's coming at us and how Correct. we ought to respond. Right. That's such a basic component of human nature. Nobody really argues that. Video, because it's, it's full of surprises and it's full of, it should be full of surprises anyway, because we shouldn't know what's coming next unless we've seen it four or five times or three times or whatever. But it takes in that visual cortex. It actually, takes us out of that that peripheral fight-or-flight thing, even though our peripheral vision is still working, but it makes us focus our vision on what's in front of us. And because it's still part of the same thing, it's such a basic thing in human nature to watch visual things that move. And one of the key things that I try to do is that every frame of every video that I try to make, and it's not always the case, but I try to make, I try to have motion in every frame of every video I make. And it's a quite effective way of making video and motion graphics. And it's an amazing context of things that you can do with images that you can't do without images. And audio over slides is not a substitute for video. I'm sorry, I don't care how animated the builds are, it's not a substitute for video. And slides get dense with information, and then your mind, because it's it's words, your mind doesn't actually know which part of the information you really need to remember. So I tend to tell the instructional developers that are doing a course after I deliver my meta video, I look at the slides and I go, yeah, that's a good number of words. Or that's too wordy, make, you know, break that into two slides because you've got too many concepts on one slide. Mm-hmm. So make slide A and slide B, make slide A, B and C, but don't put too many concepts on one slide and keep the spirit and the heart of what we did as a meta for the course in your mind as you're developing the rest of the 
the rest of the training. And that's a good point. And the best implementation I've seen of video when it's in the context of e-learning is when there's been a very smart integration of the design of the course and the video so it doesn't feel tacked on or bolted on right. to something that doesn't mesh with it all. Right, right. Beer you wound up being, everything got put into, everything was put into Captivate. And we took the, the figures of Gustav Settlemeyer and Anton Dreyer, and when they're explaining stuff, these guys are standing on the side of the screen, you know, the Captivate slide, and they're talking about something. So you could relate to them as they were in the actual lesson. But when he's talking about, oh, yeah, we took a hollow cane and we, you know, we stole beer from these brewers, and I'm thinking, like, I was thinking, when I read that, I'm thinking, like, oh, my gosh. This is, these guys were industrial spies. They were, the, you know, they weren't the first industrial spies, but they were the first beer industrial spies that I know of. They were the first alcoholic beverage industrial spies that I know of. So I, it, so the context of keeping them in the picture and keeping them in the frame was absolutely perfect. And we recorded voiceover. I recorded voiceover because I was their, I was their voices. I lowered my voice for one in using a, you know, using some software. And so I was, I had a really deep, I don't have a naturally deep voice, obviously, but I did in this one because I could lower it. It's so easy to overdo it, but we didn't, we, we went right to the edge of overdoing you, you, it. You stopped short of the Satan yes. setting and uh, you just went for a little bit of a pitch shift. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, my philosophy of video is a lot of what you're saying. It's storytelling. It's a way to identify mainly with people. You know, we talk about screens like they're objects. I think of them as windows. These are like windows through which we are identifying with other people. Perfect analogy. And we're making contact. It's the one medium where the illusion, when it's working right, it's like there is no medium interrupting. It's very immediate. And it's like we're looking into that window. Um, this is a great conversation. I, I My favorite conversations or video is are, are when we don't get wrapped up in the tools, but we talk about the approach, the way to think about video so that in the end, we come up with the right pairing. We pick the right technology for the right goals. And uh, I think video is one of those things that we've got to figure that out and attach it as the right solution. And we always have to learn. I mean, yes. I, I, I still... Um, I still learn. I try to think. I, I think that I learn like a 20-year-old. I don't. I know it. But maybe I learn like a 30- or 40-year-old still. And I know, I mean, you've been hearing now how my views have evolved just in two or three years about how video fits in training. And I worked for a certain major university's school of public health for for a while. And I did a video once that was scenario-based. It was a tabletop exercise, which is an exercise where you get a problem and you talk about the problem, and it had to do with public health law. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking it was graphic. It was it was and and it was about public health law. What do you do when, for a quarantine? So somebody came up with a scenario where these quote terrorists unquote weaponized smallpox, which is actually impossible to do right now because smallpox doesn't exist except for some weird repository underneath Moscow and for a weird repository underneath Atlanta for right now and some level four containment kind of a thing. I think they still have some smallpox virus. So this is a scenario that cannot be duplicated or replicated. And it's if somebody presented themselves to a doctor in an emergency room with a rash, there's not a doctor below the age of 60 who's ever seen smallpox, ever. And very few of them. There's probably not a doctor under the age of 75 or a physician under the age of 75 that's ever seen smallpox. 
if somebody came into a hospital with smallpox, it would not be recognized. So we did a series, and it was about, can you put this person in quarantine? We broke it apart into, I think, 15 or 10 or 15 segments and three lessons. And each lesson, each video, it was actually, it was actually a motion graphic segment. Each motion graphic segment ended with an evaluation quiz, if you will. Then it went on to the next one. And we, this took place over four days. And the whole thing about it was, the whole the whole concept of it was, what can a public health person do? Public health people are very important in our country. What can they do if there's an epidemic? And we were really scared of bird flu. This happened to be a bioterrorism project when that person put anthrax in envelopes. So this is a form of simulation in it's a, a way. Right. So video comes in and, and you can visualize things. And that we did this for... We did this for a total of, I don't know, there were probably 40 minutes of lessons or maybe more. I hate talking about finished minutes. That's the way you used to talk about video. Now you can't talk about finished minutes because I could take a video of us, you and I sitting in this room and I could have it online in about, in about two minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It might not be a well cut video. It might not be anything that's really great, but it's, it's something that we can have online and in, in we can get it done, and I love that. And it may be no is, frills, but if it's authentic, then it's acceptable. If it's video. authentic, it's acceptable. Yeah. Sure. I mean, look at what look at what the the news networks show. But when if you look at news, look at the quality of some of the video that's on there, and don't shoot with your phones vertically. If you'll notice <laughs> what the if you'll notice, look at what the networks do with vertically shot, essentially civilian sourced video. They gray out, they double the video on either side, and they gray it out, and all you get is this little vertical thing in the middle of a big horizontal screen. Mm-hmm. Shoot the way the screen looks. I'm sorry, I had to, I had to do that. But we've transcended the technology of video in the sense that we don't have to look at what we, at what we do anymore. All we have to do is look at what our thoughts are, and we can get that on a camera, and we can get that camera, those camera shots either into the cloud or on our computers, edit them, and make them into video. And that's part of the evolution that's going on. It's part of my evolution. You know, the things that I teach now are not the same things that I taught three years ago. Yeah, They're a, not the same. I don't teach the same way that I taught two years ago because now I can teach to this all conceptual stuff. And it's so much better, and we can make e-learning this way so much better yeah. than it's ever been in the past that we ever had any hope that e-learning could ever be. And it's 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 exciting. It is exciting. The tools have changed the approach, the process. Even film school has become irrelevant because we live in a world of DVDs with commentary and all that. Oh, yeah. Everything has changed. The tools have been democratized. Steve, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. You're welcome. And love to have Glad you back you. sometime. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.